Is it coming home if it's the Euros? Though? Can it only be the World Cup if it's coming home? No. Rubbish. Yeah, this cut. Yeah, this chat. <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> like, Euro '96 was it's coming home, wasn't it? That's uh, what the song was point. written for the Euros. Good point. Good point. It's got you there. Hello and welcome to another episode of the GasCast podcast. Thanks very much for tuning in and joining us from wherever you're listening. I'm Max Alderson, I'll be your host for this episode, and I'm delighted to be joined by Oliver Nino and Michael Willits. Boys, how are we doing? Good. Yeah, very good, thank you. So July has come around, restrictions are lifting in two weeks, and football might just be coming home. But more important than any of that, Bristol Rovers are back training as Joey Barton's first pre-season in charge of the club gets underway. Uh, and I don't know about you lads, but I'm definitely feeling that new season buzz, which is quite odd as we've just been relegated. And uh, I'm still pretty pissed off about it in all honesty, but I guess that's just the love of the game breaking through. Um, you know, did you get like the same buzz seeing all those first few pictures and video clips of pre-season training or are they basically all dead to you still? I mean, I know this isn't the answer you're looking for, but I literally have zero buzz at all for the new season. Um, at the mo- this happens, to be fair, this happens every tournament, though, especially because England are doing so well. At the moment, my brain is fully 100% England. It's coming home, Denmark on Wednesday. I haven't even thought about Rovers. I don't care about them a lot for the time being. As soon as England are out or we've won it, hopefully, then, uh, yeah, I'll be fully back into gas mode. But um, at the moment, yeah, they are dead to me still, I'm afraid. Mike, any any blue and white inside you at the minute, or you uh, you cut you open, you bleed the red and white of England? Uh, well, uh, a lot like Nino, just kind of, I don't know. I'm just sort of, I, I, I kind of, I've got the notifications on my phone for whenever Rovers tweet anything. I'm like, oh, what is it this time? Oh, it's it's Harvey Saunders cannonballing into a lake or something. Okay, okay, I'm not I'm not quite feeling it yet. I'm not quite ready for that um, content, but. Um, you know, it's kind of a case of just let me know when they're done in August and we'll just, uh, I'll see them on the terraces kind of thing. Is, is it is not part of that because we've been relegated that you're still a bit hurt by the club? You don't quite fully forgive them and you don't want them to make you smile right now because you're still, like me, a, a little bit wounded from, from the last 12 months? Or is uh, it just full England fever? Yeah, no, I it's, it's definitely largely that. Probably 80% that really, that, you know, we've been relegated that's that's the great thing about tournament football is it just takes you completely out of club football for a few weeks and that's what I think we've all needed um you know and it's great that the Rovers are making some progress somewhere in the background but um yeah all of our focus really is on the it's on the national team for the moment and uh, rightly so probably I think like to me in a way England doing so well at the moment kind of feels like the vaccine to how shit Rovers were for the last 12 months or so you know they just got you down every week. It was so depressing. We lost all the time. And now the whole country is at absolute fever pitch with England cruising through this tournament. And it's just, it's just like the pickup that everyone needed, I think. So it's gonna yeah. feel like it's gonna feel like the true back to school moment when we're uh, when we're at Ma- Mansfield on the when we're two 0 down at Mansfield after twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, it's weird I was speaking to someone the other day I can't remember who and they were like if I offered you now England win the Euros or Rovers get promoted next season which would you take and I'm sat here 
hosting a Bristol Rovers podcast, so pretty much everyone listening is going to be swearing at me if I say this, but I would honestly take an England trophy. <laughs> like that's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It's not happened since 1966. And uh, and Rovers, we go up and down every 10, 15 years, don't we? It's it's just the circle of life um, as far as life in BS7 is concerned. But often, you know, both would be nice. <laughs> Let's do both, please. Um, and uh, yeah, we've, we've had another flurry of uh, ins and outs at the club since our last transfer roundup at the start of June. Um, we've had three players join the club as well as three players depart. And what we'll do is we'll go through each in chronological order of what happened and discuss each transfer in a bit of detail. So the first signing was that of 19-year-old centre-back Connor Taylor on a season-long loan deal from Stoke City. Uh, Taylor made a few appearances for Chester in the National League North last season before their season was curtailed because of COVID. And he's yet to make his professional debut in the Football League for either Stoke or any other club on loan. Um, he's a bit of a giant. And at 19, he'd keep growing, you'd assume. Mike, what do you make of this signing? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's a good... Uh, it, it, I mean, it's difficult for anybody to analyse a young player that, that we've not really seen. Um, and that, that might be my answer to a lot of these players, by the way. But to be honest... I mean, I, I always like it when you sign a young lad from a from a good academy. I always think that's a, that's not a bad option for us. Um, and you know, he's the right size. Um, and yeah, he's got some experience under his belt. And yeah, I'm, I'm quite encouraged by it, really. But again, it's 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 difficult to to really know too much about them. But I'm I'm pleased. Again, it's it's one of those areas that we needed to improve in vastly uh, on last season. And, you know, when we signed McCormick last season, we all, most of us probably thought, well, I'm not really sure about this, but he ended up being probably one of the sort of brighter sparks of a whole season. But, um, you know, I'm hoping for the same here with, with this lad and maybe he'll be the, one of the shining players of the season. Nino, is this a lad you see as a starter or more of a depth signing? Um, bear in mind, we've got Martinez, Kilgore, Hughes, Baldwin and Harrys who can all play centre-back. Um, and obviously have a lot more experience than than Taylor. Um, how do you kind of see him fitting in? I don't, yeah, <clears throat> I don't know. It is very difficult to say, isn't it? Um, I mean, I was quite surprised by it because you kind of think Joey just wants to fill the spine full of experience. You know, the first four or five signings that came in before him were all late 20s, early 30s, about to retire. Obviously, I'm exaggerating slightly, but it kind of felt like they were all been there, done it, been at a few clubs before. Whereas this guy comes in in a you know centre-back, a position where you think he would be looking at experience like he was with Hughes. And he's gone for someone who looks quite untried and untested at football league level. So it's an interesting one. Um, so that kind of makes me think he will be back up. Um, I think... It all depends on the system as well. Obviously, you could go with a back four or a back three. I think he'll probably go with both at different times. But I would expect um, Hughes and Kilgore to be two of the first names on the team sheet. And then if you go with a back three, I guess then, yeah, maybe Taylor could be the third. Uh, he came with really good reviews from Stoke. I know it's only a friendly, but a lot of people were raving about Taylor, how he played against Melksham, said that he came out of the back three uh, with the ball really nicely, like drove into midfield with it, which is... Um, <clears throat> you know, it's a nice thing to have in the team, gets your team up the pitch and opens up passing lanes and stuff. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, 
I like the fact he's just a big lad. I know that's just a simple thing to say, but it's just nice to have a centre-back at the back who's just a, an absolute monster because hopefully he's going to be you know, a beast in the air and that's what you need at League Two level when teams are going to be lumping it up to big blokes up front. So, um, yeah, interested to see how he gets on. Yeah, I, I went to Melksham on uh, Friday and I, I definitely agree. He was probably one of the only standout players of, um, of, of the 2022 who played. Um, I was actually quite impressed with him, but again, you know, I was impressed with the Max Aimer versus uh, Bristol Manor Farm. I thought he was ten out of ten that game, so you can't really judge him, can you? But you can see what he's about. You know, a young player comes in, and people go to these early friendlies because not because they want to be wowed; they just want to see what kind of player the, the players you've signed are, what what their style is. And Taylor does, uh, sorry, yeah, Taylor does look like a centre back who, despite his physical size does like to bring it down and try and play it which um is obviously a reason we've signed him and i think he's maybe tried to emulate his loan signing of harry sitar um who made for fleetwood town from stoke city obviously trusts that academy he's obviously in touch with uh the representatives at stoke city um obviously has a relationship with them if you manage to bring in sitar for fleetwood and he's done the same for taylor here so he obviously trusts their judgment um and has a good relationship with them so i trust the signing it's just i question i do question you know why you know we've got a lot of young centre-backs Kilgore Harry's Martinez who are our players who you'd almost want to develop more and this is a player who's from another academy you'd have to assume he's got to be better than those three um to be worth you know the squad slot otherwise surely we just develop our own players Ollie. yeah I mean I think that Martinez will I think he'll get some game time don't get me wrong but I think it'll mainly be in the cups and like the early rounds of certain competitions. And, you know, maybe if we're playing a back three, he'll get 10, 15 minutes here and there, but I don't think we'll see as much of him as we were towards the end of last season. I think that was kind of necessity because of the situation we were in injury wise and stuff. Kilgore. Yeah, obviously he is young, but for his age, he's now played a lot of football league games. So I kind of put him on a different level experience wise to someone like Taylor. Um, and Harry's, I'm sure we'll come into it later, but I wouldn't be too surprised to see Harry's moved out either permanently or on loan before the window shuts. So, so yeah, I think he's a little bit different from those three for for a few different reasons. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, we'll stay on the topic of centre backs. Uh, following Taylor's signing, uh, there were a couple of departures. The first and probably the biggest departure this summer so far is that of faux captain Max Aimer, who agreed to mutually terminate his contract and return to Gillingham in a saga that's gone full circle in 12 months. What is there to say about Aimer? Just go for it, Mike. Get stuck in. Um, wow. Uh, he was uh, probably one of the most disappointing signings we've we've made in the last sort of 10 years. And we've made some bad signings in the last 10 years. Um but he came in, you know, to make your new signing captain, you know, that immediately, you know, puts them on a on a level that you just imagine is going to he's going to be the guy that that carries us through. And I remember I remember an an early red flag. I think it was his first interview, and he'd asked him about, oh, you know, you were a captain at Gillingham. You know, tell us what that's like. And he was kind of like. Yeah, I didn't really want to be captain at Gillingham. I just ended up being captain. And I thought, I wonder if making him captain here is actually going to be something he wants to do. Um, and it was a weird thing. I think the players voted on it. So it was all a bit all a bit of an odd one from Garner. I think he was trying to give the 
players and power sort of thing, and they've opted for Max. And to, to be honest, I've got no hard feelings towards him. I, I, I wish him all the best. I've got, I got no... I just think it was an appalling set of circumstances for all the players, and some players responded okay. A lot of players didn't, and he was one of those um, casualties, really, from the, the Barton era as well, where Barton just kind of turned up and was like, right, I'm going to need to start chopping some heads, and he was kind of in the firing line, I thought. But, you know, it's a shame, but I got no problem with him. Massively disappointed, but, you know, see you later. Good luck. You said the name Ben Garner there, and I thought, oh, that was like three years ago, wasn't it? <laughs> it just been a long time ago. <laughs> long time. I can't believe that was 12. That was last preseason. <laughs> he was manager. It does feel like absolute decade ago now. Um, so crazy. Um, Nino, no-brainer to get rid of Aimer. Yeah, any what an argument, absolute disaster. Any argument to keep him? No, no. What an absolute disaster of a bloke. I mean, he was probably the signing I was most excited about last summer, I reckon. Um you know, he was so proven at Gillingham. Their fans were raving about him, said he'd been absolutely class for the last five or six years. And it was just the sort of player you thought we needed at the back, kind of leader to come in, replace Tony Craig in a way. And um, just from day one, really, well, apart from that Manor Farm game where he said he was class, just from day one of the actual season, 10 out of 10 there. But apart from that, it was just a joke when he, like, his attitude just seemed to stink. I think it's difficult sometimes watching from the terraces. Obviously, we weren't watching. We were watching online. But some some players kind of have that laid-back attitude or laid-back style. And it's easy to look at a player like that and think they don't care. They're not putting it in. But I think with Aimer, he just didn't care and wasn't putting it in. Like, I'm just not sure he wanted to be here in the first place. Um, I remember his first interview when he joined and it was just very... <sighs> Ugh, I don't know, just he just looked like he couldn't give a shit. And then he gave an interview after um, it was a really bad result at some point. And he gave his first interview at that point. And again, he just looked like he'd rather be anywhere else than stood there giving that interview. And then I remember we absolutely crucified him on an episode of Gascast. And literally the next day, he came out and penned this public apology to the fan base. And um, that's the proudest thing I've, I've ever been of something the gas cast has done is making Max Aimer come out and apologise to the Rovers fan base, basically. But yeah, he was just shocking. And towards the end of the season, there's um, rumours which are pretty well confirmed by people that he basically just sacked off the end of the season and decided to go and get an operation done early, even though the club wanted him to play on and play through the pain a little bit. And he decided to, yeah, just call it a day and get the operation done and go off on his, on his holidays while, while everyone else was, you know, struggling through to the end of the season. So, yeah, see you later. Um, hopefully never see him again. If he comes back, I'll boo the fuck out of him. Don't sit on the fence, mate. Whatever you yeah, do. yeah, there we go. Get splinters up your ass. Um, yeah, so we'll move on to a move <laughs> that maybe surprised a few people. Uh, Dave Tatonda followed Aimer to Gillingham. I say surprised. I don't think anyone was really surprised to see him go, but... To, su- to sign for a League One club, I think that was a big surprise for me. Uh, to Tonda sign for Gillingham, um, fair play to his agent. I don't quite know how he's bagged a League One move based on, I think, eight or nine appearances for us. Um, but w- what do you make of this one, Mike? To Tonda, to Gillingham? He was a, he was a strange one, wasn't he? He was absolutely fantastic for about three games. Um, and I think I think that, was that, that might have been under Garner as well, actually, because uh, he, he brought him in and then it wasn't long before Garner left. But he, he was he kind of had a purple patch where no one could touch him. He was superb. Then he had 
you know, two or three pretty poor performances and then he just disappeared. And it was a shame, really, because he was, I, I think, maybe quite harsh. I, I always heard he was quite a positive influence around the dressing room and he always seemed, I think even Barton said it, like, uh, or it might have been Widrington actually saying that he wasn't involved in one game, but he was there just high-fiving all the lads and stuff, just trying to get him all fired up. And I thought he sounded like a, a good lad to have around. Um, as for his transfer to Gillingham, yeah, very surprised because I, you know, I thought he could be the kind of player that might do quite well for us in League Two. But you know, again, good good luck to him. Uh, you know, I sort of think I think he might struggle there, but he does. He certainly has a, a fair amount of talent that you imagine that maybe under the right, you know, uh, coaching or the right set of circumstances, he might actually be a decent player. But he's the type of player that needs to be played in a certain position. He's He's not really a left back. He's not really a winger. There's a few players like that in the football league that just can't seem to find that perfect position. And he seems to be one of those. But again, you know, it would be interesting to see how he gets on there, really. Nino, do you think we could have got something out of Dave this season, particularly as it looks like we're maybe playing wing backs in the 3 4 3 again? Yeah, I was quite disappointed to see him go, actually. Um, Obviously, yeah, like we said, he didn't get a lot of game time. So it is, it's difficult to kind of judge how good he actually was because he, he did come in, have a good few games. And then among he became a bit of a sort of cult hero, I think, amongst the the Twitter Rovers fan base. You know, people were putting Dave and stuff in their, um, their Twitter handles. He just seemed to get a bit of a cult following amongst the fan base. But I, yeah, I don't know how good he is. I'm surprised he's still in League One. It suggests there is something there. You know, Gillingham must have seen something in him. Maybe Amos recommended him or something. I really don't know. But yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen him stay because obviously us dropping down a level and he definitely does have talent. He's good going forward. He was quite good uh, dribbling with the ball. He had good close control and could go past a man. Um, so yeah, I would have liked to have seen him stay. And obviously it's kind of left us at the moment with, well, very few fullbacks slash wingbacks, whatever you want to say. We kind of need three or four now that he's gone, which isn't a major issue because it's not like the season starts tomorrow. But I think there was a player in Tutonda that we could have worked with this season, but maybe maybe he wanted to leave for a certain reason. I'd be surprised if Joey was desperate to get rid of him, like he obviously was with Aimer. But um, yeah, it's a shame. I hope he does well in League One. Yeah, he definitely seemed like a nice guy and not particularly a bad player. Like I said, I think I might, might have been keen to give him a chance at League Two level and just see what he's about. Um, but Barton obviously backs himself to find someone better. Let's hope he does, and uh, let's hope we kick on and improve from it. And you know, all parties are happy. But yeah, it's, it's certainly an odd one. Um, well, one position that everyone was crying out for us to strengthen was up front, given Rovers' inept ability to put the ball in the back of the net last season. And Rovers did just that with the signings of Aaron Collins and Harvey Saunders. We'll start with Saunders because that was the first of the two signings to be announced in quick succession. Uh, and I'll admit, when Saunders was announced, I was completely underwhelmed looking at his record. Um, hardly the stats of a man you'd be looking to bring in to add goals to the side. Um, but this is a player who I think Barton very much sees as a project he was working on at Fleetwood. Uh, and he seems quite happy that he's been able to pick him up on a free transfer and keep working on that project, given Fleetwood obviously don't want to invest that time into developing him. Um, you know, he seems thrilled to have signed him. Nino, do you do you see this as a player who's going to come in and make an immediate impact? Or is he one who's going to kind of chip in, be a bit of a super sub with his pace off the bench and kind of break into the team that way? 
Uh, yeah, my guess would be that he'll be mainly a bench player uh, who comes comes off um, or comes on, sorry, with 10, 15 to go and uses his pace, especially if we're, you know, trying to hit teams on the counter or something, put him on up front. I don't, I mean, I don't know a lot about him. Um, from what I've read online, it seems like his best form at Fleetwood was under Joey. I think from the start of the season to January, whilst Joey was there, he scored something like eight or nine goals the first half of the season. And then it sounds like once Joey left and the new manager came in, he kind of fell out of favour straight away and ended up going out on loan to a couple of different clubs. Um, But yeah, I I mean, he looks like he's got good pace. He's got a few good finishes from what I've seen on YouTube. But I mean, I don't know anything about him. He's He's got very much sort of James Daly vibes, but he does have more Football League experience than Daly. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, I I think the thing you've got to say is that Joey, Clint Hill and Mangan obviously all worked with him for a decent period of time at Fleetwood. And if they think he's good enough to come in and and do a job for us this season, then you've kind of just got to put your faith in them, really. Um, Like you, I was a little bit underwhelmed, but I kind of gave myself a bit of a talking to because last summer I just thought it was the best summer we'd ever had. And then look how that turned out. So this summer I'm just you know, very much of the thing of I'm going to wait to see all of these players, regardless of who they are, where they've come from, what they've done in the past, until I see them play 10 games or so for us in the quarters, my opinions are reserved. I think I'm very much in the same boat. I think we've all been taught a harsh lesson from last season not to get excited um, by signings on paper. You've got to, you've got to see them yourself and uh, judge after 10, 10, 15 games. So, yeah, let's uh, let's hope Saunders is one that will surprise a few. Uh, Mike, what, what do you make of Saunders as a, as a signing? Do you see him as much of an improvement on daily? Would you just rather have we, we stuck with a player we've been working with for a year? I, I was really disappointed we lost daily, to be honest. I, I know he didn't set the world alight, but I still felt like he was a, a work in progress. I think he's only 21 as well, maybe maybe even 20. Um, you know, And I just felt like there was a bit of... You know, a lot of potential there. It seemed like Palace were really sort of keen to keep him. We we managed to get him and felt like we were seeing some some progress in a really bad season. Um, but whether there was issues with his fitness, it did seem like he was picking up a few injuries here and there. And so we bring in Harvey Saunders as the kind of daily replacement. I, I'm quite I'm quite encouraged. I imagine from a wage perspective, he probably won't be on a large wage. I imagine we'll be able to to kind of keep him in that sort of development role and hopefully see him really kick on. And it, it is good that, you know, it's not a like necessarily one of Joey's mates kind of thing. It's not, it's not a player, like an experienced bloke that he's brought in. It's a young lad who's, who he believes has got the potential to kick on. So it, it feels like he, he won't be, it feels like Barton feels as though he's got a hidden gem here. We've, we've stolen one under the radar kind of thing so let's see how it goes but I'm sort of quietly optimistic but again based on very little data really yeah. I think um, by Are far my favourite thing about Saunders is that he got into the professional game um, via winning a competition playing for an Indian restaurant. And I'm just a huge fan of that pathway. I just, you know, if we don't, I just want the rest of our signings to have played for restaurants before we sign them because I just love that so much. Yeah, those are the best kind of signings, aren't they? Don't, don't really matter if they actually turn out any good so long as they've got fun story yeah. about how they got started whether it's exactly whether it's uh harvey saunders through his carry house or rory fallon's ice cream shop 
Um, yeah. yeah, it all holds a special place in our place in our hearts and makes those players stand out from the others in the blue and white <laughs> a little bit more. Um, I, I think it's clear we'll sign another striker. The, the Bristol Post have reported that an experienced, proven goal sto- scorer is still the very top of our shopping list. Uh, in addition to these two lads we've signed, for me, it's it's vital that we get this signing right. This this centre forward, uh, this mystery centre forward, who whoever that may, who may fill that role it's crucial we get this one bang on because it, it's the spearhead of everything we're going to be doing this season um what are your thoughts nino i mean i 100 percent agree with you it is absolutely vital um my main thought is that i'm a little bit concerned that we're only going to be going into the season with one experienced goal scorer because we all know that that player, whoever it is, could pick up an injury within the first five games and be out for two months, let's say. And then you're left with Hanlon, a younger Collins and Saunders for those two months to score the goals to, you know, we want to go up. That's what Barton's saying. That's what everyone at the club is saying. So you're relying on those four young, fairly unproven lads, maybe other than Collins, you could argue, to, to keep us at the top end of the table whilst this bloke's out injured. So I... I've got to be honest, I really wanted us to sign two proven strikers this summer and I thought we would. Um, so I am, unless one of Hanlon or a younger goes out and we can bring in another one, I will be concerned if we only get one. Um, but yeah, it is. if we are only going to get one, they need to be really top-notch, I think, because I don't look at the current four strikers we've got and think that there's the goals amongst those lot to to get us into the top, you know, three or four places. Um, So this player needs to come in and be able to score 15 plus goals, maybe, um, and then be supported by the other lads around them chipping in. So yeah, of all the signings that's left and there's nine, according to Barton or that sort of number, I think that is by far the most important one because obviously it's where we were absolutely dire last season. Yeah, for sure. Just kind of goes to show how hard it is to find a, a proven goal scorer. I mean, we've been looking around really since probably since Matty Taylor left really to get to get one in. Um, we've pinned our hopes on so many uh, others, and maybe there's just a real pressure as well when you come to come to us and we're just expecting you to become a 25 goal season striker. It's just quite hard to do, but yeah, still time, still time to find one. So yeah, we'll we'll see. I don't think that there should necessarily be a pressure on a player to be a 20 goal season striker. The best teams don't have them. The best teams have two strikers that score 13, 14 wingers that get seven, eight, and then center mids who get six, seven. Those are, those are the promotion winning teams. And, you know, if you are lucky enough to have a player who thrives off the creativity of of your side and, and can net 20, then that's almost not such a reflection of how good a player they are, but how good the team is to, to create those chances for them to score those goals. You know, look at JCH, he's gone and got 30 this season in League One, where he got, you know, 18 for us because he was getting more chances. So, you know, you can bring in a great striker, but we need a good team around it as well. Um, we'll move on to Aaron Collins, a signing that a fair few people think is a bit of an underrated one and therefore he's becoming less and less underrated by the day as the hype around him is kind of building um, but I do think it's warranted I've, I've spoken to various people who have seen him play at length and they all rate him as one of the best forwards in League 2 last season and a player who at 24 years old will hopefully keep improving uh, Nino 11 goals 8 assists last season in all competitions I, knowing you like I know you I think this is your kind of signing I'm so on board with this sign and I love it. Yeah. Based on literally nothing, I've got such high hopes for this guy. I just think he's going to be phenomenal for us. 
Um, yeah, really good numbers last season. Nice to get a striker in who got that many assists as well. You know, he's obviously quite an all-round, just a good footballer rather than someone who's just going to lurk in the box and stick it away. He's obviously very handy dropping deep, um, linking up the play and feeding others in to, to score goals as well. So, yeah, I, I really do think that he could go on to become, you know, the next Matty Taylor kind of thing for us. It's just got that kind of vibes um, about it to me, not just because he's coming from Forest Green, obviously, like Matty did, but I don't know. It's just, I've got a good feeling about this one. Good feeling in the waters. So, yeah, I watched him. I didn't watch him a lot last season. The only times I saw him play were uh, on the telly against Newport in the playoff semis. And obviously at that time, there was no links to us at all. Um, but I just remember watching those games and thinking, just thinking, God, he's a, he's a really good player. You know, he was he had pace. He was taking people on. He was able to run in behind the defence. He was dropping deep and bringing others into play. He had a lovely touch. I just thought he kind of reminded me a little bit of Tom Nichols, but Tom Nichols, a bit taller, a bit quicker and able to score goals. Um, so, yeah, I've got really, really good feeling about this one. So nothing like Tom Nichols then? No, nothing like him at all, no. <laughs> um, I, I think it's always good when you sign a player from a team who have just finished in the playoffs um, and got to the playoff semis. You know, that's that's a fantastic um, little pickup, I think, to... I, I, let's be honest, I think it's a financial thing, us versus Forest Green. The guy was out of contract. Um, it's in the same area. He doesn't have to move house or relocate his family. And we've just probably come in with a much bigger wage than what Forest Green can maybe afford and, and try and entice him our way. Um, so I think it's it's a smart signing, and it, it's always nice to get one over on Forest Green as well, as, as we all as we all know. Um, there's going to be plenty of that this season. Um, Mike, what do you like most about this signing? Is there anything that concerns you about him for balance? Because I'm a bit cautious that we don't go overboard with praise for him before he's really kicked too much of a ball. Um, no, I'm, I'm again like like uh, like Ollie, just quite quite excited by this one. I don't, you know, again. Based on very little, I mean, based on a, a YouTube compilation of goals that he scored, uh, really, which is the kind of Derek Riordan uh, era that I keep. I always, I always go back to the don't trust a YouTube compilation because <laughs> if you type in Derek Riordan, you think I thought we honestly signed a world class European striker. Um, but uh, but no, with, with Aaron Collins, I'm, I'm excited by it. I think that def- definitely seems like he's got that kind of pedigree of a player that maybe belongs at a higher level, but we've managed to kind of keep him and persuade him to stay in League Two um, for us. So, yeah, that's, you know, and he's young enough as well to improve and kind of still fits in with what the club would like to do in bringing um, you know, younger players through, maybe, maybe making a profit on them one day. Didn't cost us anything in transfer of money. So it kind of ticks all the boxes. Um but as we all know, we just gotta kind of wait and see how he gets on. But yeah, encourage. I think even though I said not that long ago that I wasn't going to get, you know, overexcited and too hyped up about any of the signings, I think Collins is definitely the one where I've kind of let myself get a little bit carried away. You know, with Coots and Finley and Hughes and the early signings, I don't, you know, none of them look like bad signings to me on paper, but I wasn't particularly excited about them either they are what they are you know they're solid experienced journeyman pros kind of thing and I'm sure they'll all do a good job hopefully but Collins is that kind of player on the up good age um, just had a really good season you know good numbers and I just kind of look at him and think he's going to be one of the first names on the team sheet firstly and I think also 
he's just kind of got that match winner vibes to me. You know, I think he was described in the Bristol Post as being a League Two Jack Grealish, which I mean, I, I wouldn't go that far maybe, but I do just think he's going to be absolutely class for us. I think if you stick Collins and Nicholson when he's fit, either side of, you know, a proven goal scorer, then suddenly you've got quite a tasty little front three building. So... I yeah. think uh, just speaking of um, YouTube compilations, you should check out Nick Anderton's uh, <laughs> compilation. And I, I, I now believe we've signed Paolo Maldini, the League Two <laughs> Paolo Maldini. So look forward to that. What is on that compilation? Because he hasn't scored many goals. Is it just it's him just, overlapping his runs, isn't it? He's overlapping his a couple his of blocks here and there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. It's just winning a couple of headers, get, getting a few crosses in. It looks impressive. <laughs> Five minutes of Anderson shielding the ball out of play. Absolutely yeah, love it. It's one of those that like the player himself was probably put together as a kind yeah. of come sign me sort of compilation. But um yeah. And jo- Joey fell for it. What a man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I know how I'm spending my Friday nights watching Nick Anderson highlights for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah. I wonder I if he'll stick Pot- the Melksham goal on the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just about to touch on that. I did see him play against Melksham and he did score an own goal. Um, it was a massive mix-up at the back. Uh, we had Jed Ward in goal. I think Hughes called for it. And then Anderton tried to pass it back to Ward, who was then out of his goal. And then they were all scrambling to try and hook it off the line, which they failed at. So just a bit of a travesty. But other than that, I actually quite like the look of Anderton. Uh, you know, it's obviously a lower standard and... Um, this is not 45 minutes to judge it on, but he was playing wing back, uh, left wing back. Um, just, you know, like I said to you before we recorded, you know, he reminded me of Leahy because he was winning a lot of headers. He was linking up well with the front three and he made a massive fuck up at the back and cost us a goal. So <laughs> like for like replacement. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty content given how good a season Lee. He, he, he looked quite physically big from the, from the videos I saw. Yeah. So he's quite a big guy. Yeah, and, and like obviously with Taylor that we mentioned earlier, it seems like that's an area that Joey has looked at and thought, well, we need some height in this team. So, mm. yeah, I can, can see why he's maybe gone like that route. Yeah, yeah, Rovers put out a Nick Anderton training compilation, didn't they, on Twitter? Was it earlier today? It's like 30 seconds of him running in slow motion, and I'm I'm just I'm well on board with those. <laughs> well, well on board. <laughs> Yeah, no. Just touching back on Collins uh, at Melksham, I thought he was he was really good. Um, he's a very calm presence on the ball. Um, got a really nice touch, smart finish on one as well on his on him on him as well. He turned his man really nicely and finished from quite an acute angle. Um, just looks yeah, looks all right so far. So we'll see how he how he does. Um, let's let's round up the last of the transfers with George Williams, who's left the club after just uh, six months. I think it's like, is it even six months? Five months, I think. Um, at the club uh, he's moved to Cambridge I'm if I'm honest I didn't think he'd go this soon I thought he'd probably be a squad player right back right wing back um, or at least maybe got rid of it in, in, in the coming January uh, Mike are you surprised to see him go this soon or are you just kind of relieved that there's another one off the wage bill who wasn't really anything special um, I'm I'm both surprised and relieved really um, again, again kind of Good luck to him, but it was just another one of those that just was a really, really bad signing. I mean, it may have worked under Tisdale, but um, because I think he had a couple of encouraging games initially, um, but he just, God, he was just, again, another one of those players where you're thinking, what, what's his position? Because it shouldn't really be centre-half, you know, the right side of a, a three-man centre-back. Centre, centre so he just, 
I don't know. It just seemed like he he couldn't stop anything, um, and that was that was very typical of all of our defenders last season. But you know, I think where possible, where we can remove some of you know some of those players on probably on high money as well, it's probably the better for the club. So I think the club looks like they've done a good job in getting in removing some of those players, moving them on, and yeah, not not too not too upset about that one. Nino, are you surprised that? pretty much all the players we've spoken about today who have left, in fact, all three of them, have found League One moves. Do you think that's a yeah. lot about us or a lot about their agents? I, f- I find it very upsetting, to be honest. Like, I'm really not a fan of them bringing us down and then them all going, all right, see you later, lads. We're back off up to League One. You, you enjoy League Two. You know, it's just, it is a bit devastating. But with um with Williams, I'm a little bit disappointed he's gone, to be honest. Um, nah, nah, I'm not, not having it. I'm not having it. He was, he was naff. <laughs> right. Yeah, so much like he, Tondra, he had like two good games and then he was, he was responsible for a lot of goals after that. I just think that, you know, he's an experienced player. He's kind of proven league two. Stop shaking your head. He's kind of proven league two, league one level. I just think in league two, he'd have been, I'm not saying I've had him first name on the team sheet. Don't get me wrong. I would have liked a new starting right back or right wing back whatever to come in but I just think as a bench option he's solid he's yeah I don't know I mean I don't care he's gone I'll be honest you know (laughs) I don't care but um I know that you know the Twitter fan base started calling him a Ford Mondeo of a player didn't they and he was a bit like that you know he's nothing to write home about he's a bit boring a bit safe but I just thought he was all right as a squad player but yeah I'll lose no sleep over the fact he's gone don't get me wrong but yeah yeah, I think I think um, that the point you made about a lot of our players joining League One clubs is yeah, it, it does kind of raise a few questions about how how they were managed potentially last season. I think I think we all thought we all felt like the or most of us felt so the recruitment was quite good, and that's not just because we were completely wrong. I think generally, player for player, a lot of them are good players, but just you know, completely mismanaged by say all three of the managers that we had um the fact that we had three was also a problem um and yeah so i think i'm not too surprised you do you do tend to see it players with good agents they can just you know find a club in that level cambridge as well they've just been promoted it's probably it's not a bad show you know they find they just seem to find their way around those clubs i think what last season made me realize more so than any other following Rovers is that and and this is a large part of the reason why I'm not judging any of these signings until I've seen them play is that just signing good players good individual players isn't enough like that isn't what makes a good team those players there has to be some sense as to how those players are going to fit together and play together and there has to be character in the squad and experience and you know all these things which you don't really think about you just see you know Saunders comes in he's fast he can finish you know or he's going to be really good or whatever but it doesn't it just doesn't work like that it works like that on FIFA or football manager but as we saw last season I don't think that we had a squad of bad players necessarily but they didn't together they didn't make a good team and I kind of think that personally I think with Williams and I was going to say Aimer, but I don't think that with Williams I think that he could have been okay at League One but I I think he came in and did look okay initially but then it was almost like he came into this sinking ship of a team where 
the other players were just making individual errors game after game. And he almost just got like infected by that general shitness at the club. And then his level then just nosedived as well. Um, so, I mean, that's why I think at League Two, he could have been okay. Because I think if Joey makes us into a solid team where there's more reliable defenders who, you know, aren't falling over their own feet every week, then I think he could have slotted in there quite nicely on the right side of the defence and been a, a solid, reliable player. But uh, I think it's another yeah. example as well of where we've, you know, we allowed Garner to sign his players, then sacked him after 10 games or so. And then Tisdale brought in Day and Williams to play a certain way he then went Barton comes in plays a different way again I mean it's no surprise that half of these players ended up just not making it and I know we're not here to review last season again we don't want to do that no one wants um, to hear that again. <laughs> no one wants to no talk one. about it no. but um, but I think it, when I think about it now it, it's not that surprising to me that a lot of them have ended up in League One because the the problem general consensus around League One clubs probably think, well, actually, they're good players and we could probably get them for cheaper because they've had a bad season. Yeah, kind of makes sense. Great discussion, boys. Really enjoyed that, actually. Um, yeah, so that pretty much rounds up the transfers, but Jerry Barton has said, as you mentioned earlier, Ollie, um, he still wants probably eight or nine to come in. Um, what do you think of the key positions we need to strengthen? Probably need some right-backs now, don't we? And some left-backs. Who's this coming to me? Yeah, I asked you. Oh, you asked me. Okay. So I I think we need a number two keeper. Uh, I think we need... Have we got any left backs? Oh, we got Anderson. Okay. So I think we need two right backs, a left back. What's that? And they all Is need to play... Four? They all need to play wing back as well as full back, right? Or would you have one, one wing back, one full back? How would, you, how would you kind of structure it? I've got a feeling that we're going to be playing a back three most of the season and that a back four will kind of be plan B. So I think that they need to kind of be more out and out wing backs who can do a job at full back rather than the other way around. I think that's how it will be. Um, I still think we need another central midfielder. Um, I think that we'll probably get in a couple of wingers slash attacking midfielders because at the moment we've only got Nicholson who's not going to be fit, Rodman who's you know getting on a bit and has his own injury illness issues um, seemingly, and I think that's Josh probably Barrett. Josh Barrett who's got a hamstring injury now. Oh. Um, so yeah, and obviously a central striker. So you're kind of up to eight or nine there. So yeah, there's still a lot of work to do and. I'm not sure how many of those players will be starting players. I think maybe, obviously, the two fullbacks slash wingbacks will be and the central striker. Um, I mean, I think the kind of nucleus of the first 11 is in place, but I think there's still a lot of work to do on the overall squad, really. Yeah. I, like you said, I've got a core, but I think we do need some match winners in there um, because I don't think we have many of those at the minute. Um, Mike, are there any players you, who are in the squad currently who, who you think still might leave? And if so, who? Good question. Um, I think I mean, we mentioned Harris before. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, he was moved on. Um, I, you know, I think there's, again, there's something there with him. I think he's, he had his good games last season, but I, I just feel that, and I, I don't know, I'm not sure if he's a Barton player as such. So, so why, why so I'll just stop you there. So, so why Harry's over Baldwin? I see a lot of people mentioning moving on Harry's, but Baldwin is getting next to no... I, I was coming. Me, he made just as many mistakes as Harry's, if not more. Why is and Jack ha- Baldwin still at this football club? And Harry's is and Harry's is a lot younger and obviously has room to develop. So that, I, I was coming on, moving Baldwin. Harry's on, but I, I would almost want to invest 
invest in him more than I would be willing to give Baldwin another year, personally. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I was uh, probably coming around to Baldwin as another player to to ship out, really. Um, as far as I was concerned, I mean, as far as like last season's squad, the, the one area that I wanted to see major changes to was that defence. The only player, really, that I was kind of willing to keep was Kilgore because, I mean, yeah, maybe because he's a bristle lad and all that does help, does go in his favour a little bit. Um, but, you know, Baldwin... Baldwin was so poor last season, so so disappointed. Probably the worst of all of the defenders, actually. Um, and that says something. Um, and so yeah, maybe I've been a bit harsh on on Harris. You were just the first name that came into my head. Um, but yeah, Baldwin for sure. Uh, as far as other players, I, I can't even think. I can't even think. But I'm sure there'll be one or two others. What, what about Brandon Hanlon? Do you think he's going to be given an opportunity to prove himself or is he just going to stick around as a backup centre forward for a, another season and then be binned out Nino you got your hand in the air do you want to go for it I, I mean <clears throat> I don't want to be too harsh on Baldwin but he's going back to the George Williams discussion he's kind of an example of what I was talking about in that I think you surround someone like Williams who I think could be a solid player and put him next to someone like Baldwin who is just a walking calamity. Like you just feel like he's a ticking time bomb. That watching him last season, honestly, every time the ball went towards him, I was so nervous and so anxious, thinking, "What is he going to do? Is he going to head this away? Is he going to fall over and head it backwards, and a striker's going to run onto it? Is he going to put it into his own net?" I mean, I just don't think you can look at him and rely on him and trust him. I don't really see how I mean he may still leave obviously um, but as we sit here today I don't see how Barton can look at someone like Jack Baldwin and think yeah I can hang my hat on him to have 20-25 good games in League 2 next season because I don't think he played badly last season because he was in League 1 because a lot of the errors he was making balls were going up to him he was surrounded by absolutely no one and he'd just fall over or you know just do something inexplicably bad I just don't Just don't think that you can rely on someone like that. Um, so, sorry, did do you think that um, any of those players would have improved if they'd have had, say, one experienced centre half that was just totally commanding and and a good leader? I mean, people talk about Tony Craig. Personally, I didn't rate Tony Craig. I know it's, a, it's not a very popular opinion, not a very popular opinion, but I thought it was the right decision to move him on. But the fact that we didn't have a kind of leader, because like, that's what he was. And I, I think he did probably help Kilgore um, in the time that he was playing alongside him. Probably helped Tom Lockyer as well. Um, but the fact that we didn't have, I mean, Aimer just wasn't that guy. So actually then you don't really have any kind of leadership at the back. I wonder if that had an effect on on players like Baldwin and Harris and Kilgore as well. Yeah, you do think maybe if Baldwin had a shout in those scenarios just to like leave it or clear it or whatever, he may have made a different decision. And, um, you know, all ifs and buts, isn't it? I do have to agree with you, Nino, though. I don't think I can trust Jack Baldwin and we're not the only football club to say that, are we? Um, this is the thing. It's ha- he's been like this throughout his whole career. Like Peterborough fans said this, Sunderland fans said this. He went to Salford, they were saying it. You know, it's he's in his late mid to late 20s now you know how how long do you have to watch this guy making errors at various clubs before you say actually maybe this is just what he's like you know yeah 
Yeah. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there on Rovers. We'll have a quick little five-minute chat about England. Nina, you want to say something first before we move on? I just wanted to say that I think either Hanlon or a younger will leave. Um, one of the two. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. One of the two. I don't think they'll both go, but I have a feeling that because we have four strikers at the moment, he still wants to bring in an experienced one. So that leaves you with five. And if we're playing the three, four, three, you've only got one central striker playing in that. So to have five central strikers in a squad where you're only playing one seems excessive to me. So I think that one of those two will leave probably on loan, I would say, and to make way for for this new new player to come in. Um, I've got a feeling it will probably more likely to be Hanlon than a younger. I think that I think that Joey probably saw more in a younger. Um, although I know he came in and said, you know, Hanlon can be the 20 to 25 goal a season striker we're looking for, but he very quickly seemed to change his mind on that. So I think the only difficulty with that is that we've still got the tribunal for him and we don't know how much we could pay for him. And maybe that makes it a bit difficult to justify shipping him out this summer, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him go, to be honest. Yeah, I fully agreed on that one. Um, right, England. little chat about England. Um, I know this is a Rovers podcast, but um, just want to go around the group and uh, get your opinion on whether football's coming home. Mike? Well, I hope so, lads. I hope so. Um, I think it's been what a fantastic tournament. Um, and we were just saying, weren't we, about how it's it's such a breath of fresh air to watch a, a team with terrific chemistry um, playing some good football at times. I know that's been a topic of discussion throughout the tournament, but I'm just enjoying seeing. I've never seen a team look so solid after after the, the, the calamity <laughs> of our defensive efforts this uh, last season. To see um to see England just kind of cruise through their matches it, it's it's fantastic. Never seen England look so good to be honest. And yeah, all credit to Gareth Southgate. Uh, two semi-finals, you know, in major tournaments. Yeah, what a job he's doing. The massive game Wednesday. Can't wait. Nino, international football. Do you think for lower league fans like us, it's almost means more than it does to maybe Premier League? clubs like fans of Premier League clubs who see you know the England players week in week out and always have the rivalries with the other clubs do you think for us it's certainly for me when I see England it's like a huge step up in quality for what I see every week in the team I support and it's another team I support obviously it's my country Um, but I get to see a team I support play some fantastic stuff and for me I I feel an immense pride at what, what they're doing at the minute and it's just been a great escape from what's been a shite season um, almost like a complete juxtaposition. Uh, if I said to you though, uh, Rovers playoffs next season or England win the Euros, which are you taking? Oh, 100% England win the Euros. 100%. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is this is the best chance we'll have to win something probably in my lifetime. I mean, obviously, who knows what's going to happen, but it almost feels like it's kind of on a plate for us to at least get to the final, you know. Denmark, I don't think we should underestimate Denmark, by the way. I think they are a very good side. I know. So I've underestimated them. Then a second later, I said, I don't think we should. But no, I really don't think we should because I think that they are a very good team. I think that they'll give us a tougher game than Germany did. You know, Germany, the name sounds scary and obviously they've got some class players, but they're kind of an older team in transition. Whereas I think this Denmark side just... 
They've played some amazing football. All their players play for clubs in the top four or five leagues in Europe. You know, you go through their 11 and they're all at Barcelona, AC Milan, et cetera, et cetera. They're not at Copenhagen and Bromby and stuff. You know, no offence to those clubs, obviously, but these are top-level players. Um, They've lost something like three games in their last 35 and two of those have been against Belgium. Um, And obviously... They've got the whole, you know, Christian Eriksen thing. It just kind of feels like if England weren't in this semi-final, if England were no longer in the competition, I would look at Denmark and say their name is on this trophy because it kind of feels like there's this sort of magical, mystical, like force behind Denmark pushing them through this tournament ever since the Eriksen thing happened. And I think it's going to be a really, really tough game. Um, I do think England will get through to the final. I think we'll scrape through maybe even on penalties or something. I think it could be that tight, but, um, but yeah, no, I think it'll be really tough. And I think the thing for me so far, I fully agree with Mike, everything he said, you know, about how calm and composed it's been, it's been really strange just to not really feel particularly anxious at any point during the tournament. You know, usually watching England in a tournament, you're watching it through your fingers most of the time. Cause it's just, it's just so nerve shredding and it hasn't been like that at all, but we're yet to see England concede a goal. And I just wonder whether at Wembley, 60,000 fans there going absolutely nuts before the game. If Denmark score first in the first 10 minutes or so, I think, you know, it could it could go interesting. How in interesting, interesting would it way. be if, if England beat Denmark to nil, go to the final at Wembley against Italy or Spain, and we lose 1-0 and the only goal we've conceded all tournament is the one goal that knocks us out of it. That would just be so gutting, wouldn't it, to have been this solid? Um, yeah, but no, I think it's going to be a very tough game. Um, What's your thoughts, Max? Do you think it's That's is coming, it home. coming home? Coming home. I think we're winning the lot, if I'm honest. Uh, I'm very, very confident that we're going to win the trophy. <laughs> um, I think Denmark, yeah, that they had a, you know, a great, a great 4-0 win against Wales. Um, and, you know, they, they've beaten the Czech Republic 2-1, but I think they had a couple of nervy moments in that. The Czechs were nothing special when we played them. We've just beaten Ukraine 4-0, so we're we're buzzing high on confidence. We've got Kane um, playing centre-forward now as opposed to roaming around the midfield like a lost puppy. He's actually up front getting his head on, on crosses and, and scoring goals and getting on the end of through balls, which is where we need him to be. Um, the team looks solid. Luke Shaw's turned into, like... He's just turned into a world beater, skipping past players, getting brilliant crosses into the box. And uh, yeah, Sterling is is the king of England. So um, I, I, I think it's coming home. I, I, think, we'll, I think we'll beat Denmark 2-0. Um, I think we'll go to the final and I think we'll beat, depends who it is. Italy are very strong defensively, but not so potent up front. Whereas the Spanish are the other way around. They score loads and concede loads. So um, I, I don't know who the two I'd, out of the two I'd fancy. I probably would rather us play I, I, I'm leaning towards Italy just because it would be a football purist game two solid defences um, trying to out strategize another whereas Spain I think would just be a complete gamble can we outscore them and keep them out um, and they have got the quality to get in behind you with their pace and the speed to get the ball up the pitch so I don't know who I'd prefer but first and foremost let's beat Denmark and then uh, let's bring football home IMO I just I've just got so much love for Gareth Southgate as well. You know, I think at the 2018 World Cup, he kind of stole everyone's hearts and there was the, you know, the waistcoat and Southgate, you're the one, et cetera. And then it kind of felt like in between 
the World Cup and these Euros, the sort of general opinion of him just went downhill and downhill and downhill. I'm not sure why that was particularly, but it seemed like everyone started to turn on him a little bit. And then he has been quite safe, I'd say, and like pragmatic a little bit with the team selections and the football we've played. But everything he's done has just been absolutely spot on. And it's obviously been the game plan all along to keep us solid, nick games by the odd goal. And um, I just think, you know, we went in, this squad had so many bright, young, positive attacking players in it. We had six or seven players who everyone wanted to see in the lineup. You know, people wanted us to play a back four and then have a midfield of like Sancho, Mount, Grealish, and then up front have Foden, Kane and Sterling and just thought we were going to smash teams for seven and eight. And it's just not going to happen. You know, that's not how you win a tournament. And I think it was, it's been quite brave of Southgate in a way to go, I'm not listening to any of you lot. This is how we're going to do it. And, you know, keep keep the team just so solid and put Rice and Phillips in front of the defence and just keep us so stable. And I think that's why we've looked so calm going through it, really, because we've got such a good base to build off. And then we've got the match winners to go and nick the goals at the other end. And, um, yeah, I just think whatever happens from now on, I think he's just the best manager we could have, really, at the moment. I think you you summed that up perfectly, Ollie. That was yeah, that was good. I think I, I mean I again I just got a lot of time for Gareth Southgate. I, I loved what he said after the Germany game, and it, it must have been something he kind of he knew he was going to say. But they'd asked him about, oh, does it does it um uh, does it right the wrong of you know Euro '96? And he sort of I thought it was brilliant what he said about well, I just saw David Seaman in the crowd. I said I can't change what happened for them. It wasn't just me that kind of lost that day sort of thing. Um, and I thought it was a brilliant, you know, he's got that humility about him that, you know, it's not just about Gareth Southgate. You know, there was, it was all of his teammates that played that day in year 96 that, that were hurting as well kind of thing. I thought it's just a, a great thing to say. Um, but he's been like that throughout the tournament. And like you said, makes the really difficult decisions and the unpopular decisions as well. And and he knows it because he said, like he said, if I played this team, I'd be lost. I'm going to be... I'm going to be dead at the end of this game, but um, he's just been—he's been absolutely bang on all the way through, and he's clearly got that camaraderie amongst the group. They were interviewing Luke Shaw in the week, and you, you could just see on his face—he was just like, "This is the best group of players I've ever played with," you know. And they just all look like they're buzzing, and just like every one of us. So it's fantastic. Gaz cast. What was that? I said Gaz cast. Oh, Gazcast. Sorry, I completely missed that. Yeah. I thought you just randomly said Gazcast, and I was like, why has he just read out the name of the podcast? Okay. No, Gaza. Gazcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's wrap it up there, boys. Um, thanks very much for tuning in. Gazcastpodcast.co.uk for all our latest episodes and updates. Yeah, check it out, guys. Um, we've got some more content coming out soon. Hopefully, as we make more signings in the coming weeks, things start to gear up towards the new season. We'll have some previews, some more player analysis on the new signings and of course some build up ahead to the first game away at Mansfield thanks very much for tuning in and until next time up the gas and it's coming home God save our queen it's coming home it's coming home